Well, there's a story told about uh, former President Calvin Coolidge. He was a man of few words, if, if you're familiar with him. And uh, supposedly, one day he returned home from a church service, and his wife asked him what church was about. And as I said, he was a man of very few words, so he, he just looked at her and simply said, Sin. And she wanted more details. She said, Well, what was the preacher's theme? He was against it. Now, I don't know if that account is accurate or not, if it, was, if it is true, but it does open the door for our text today. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 14 in just a moment. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 14, and today we're going to talk about sin, and I'm against it. But not just sin in general. Today we're going to talk about a very specific sin, something that maybe doesn't really register on your, on your radar. Whenever you think about sin, we tend to think of what we consider the big ones, murder and things like that. But this is one that is a very prevalent sin. It's the sin of greed, the sin of covetousness. Now, I don't have to tell you, but in our world, and in particular in this country, we have a lot of greedy, covetous people. In fact, you, you may be greedy, you may be covetous. Today, Americans are very flippant about this sin, and we think lightly of it, but I can assure you that it is a big deal with God. He is, he is squarely against it. We're going to see that in our text today. Now, just to set the stage a little bit, we need to back up to where we were a couple of weeks ago. You remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Naaman. Now, Naaman, he was a, he was a Syrian military general or, or a commander of some sort, and they were an enemy of Israel. And he was, a, he was what you might call a mighty man. He was, he'd had a lot of military campaigns. He'd actually had some military campaigns into Israel and had, uh, had conquered some different parts of, of that country. But he had one bad problem, and his problem was that he was a leper. And so he ended up finding out that Elisha was a prophet in Israel. So he went down into enemy territory, into Israel, to Elisha to see if this man of God could heal his body. Now, you remember, Elisha didn't make a big to-do about him like he was used to, and he didn't even go out to greet him. He just said, you know what, go out, dip in the Jordan River, even though it's a muddy, muddy body of water, just go out, dip in the Jordan River seven times, you'll be clean. Now, where we left off last time that we looked at this, Naaman had done that. He had been obedient to what God had said through the prophet. He had been healed, and that's where we stopped. But today, you remember Paul Harvey, he used to say, uh, he used to talk about the rest of the story. Today, you're going to hear the rest of the story because it does continue. Now look at verse 14, if you would. It says, So he went down, this is Naaman, and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. That's where we left off last time. When he returned to the man of God with all his company, and came and stood before him, he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So please take a present from your servant now. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he, Elisha, refused. Naaman said, If not, please let your servant at least be given two mules, two mules load of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. He's probably talking, wanting to build a, an altar up in Syria. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him some distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, 
Behold, my master has spared this name in the Armenian, Armenian by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to greet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, just now two young men of the sons of, of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give me a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. Naaman said, Please be, be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them before him. When he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and deposited them in the house, and he sent them in away, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your parents ever seen anything like that? Where have you been? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to, to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Now where we pick up in this story, Naaman has been miraculously healed. God has done this, this mighty work, and he returns to thank the prophet. And already he's doing better than a lot of us do, isn't he? But you remember in the Gospels, there, were, there, were, there was one account where there were ten lepers. And they came to Jesus and they asked him to heal them. Now he did that, and the Bible says that, that nine of them went away. They were happy, they were excited, but only one of them came back to say thanks. Naaman is like this one. He comes back to say thanks. And it's always a good thing uh, to do that. I think many times we're like those nine lepers. We're happy when God does what we ask him to. We just don't ever turn around to say thanks. But Naaman wanted to say thank you. But he wanted to say more than just words. He actually wanted to give money as a way of saying thanks. Now that may seem like kind of a, a, a weird deal. And if we were in Elisha's case, we would probably have a different response, wouldn't we? If somebody says, you know what? I want to give you a whole bunch of money. You'd probably say, well, I don't want to rob you of that blessing, right? But, but that's not what Elisha did. Now, why, why did he do that? It seems strange today that somebody would want to just, just shower somebody with money. Well, the reason, that he, the reason that he does that is because back in that day and time, remember, Naaman is, is a heathen. He's a pagan. And in that culture that he came from, uh, their, their prophets, their false prophets, they would often build money from people. And so, so this was uh, th this was not out of the ordinary. If if a if a prophet had done something to to give them a whole bunch of money, and that's what Naaman kind of defaulted to do, just what he knew. But also, he he had just been uh, healed from a terminal illness. And you know, it, when, whenever we have a sickness, whenever there's a death, whenever there's some life-shaking event, it kind of makes us reevaluate the importance of things. And I'm sure that that after he had uh, been healed of this leprosy. It kind of made him reevaluate what was important. And I'm sure that money was not a big thing for him. So he was, he was wanting to give this money to Elisha, but Elisha refused. Now, why did Elisha refuse the money? Well, I think there are a few, few reasons he probably did. The first reason, the most important reason, is because he wanted him to know that the gift and the blessing of God is not for sale. The gift and the blessing of God is not for sale. You can't buy God's favor. You can't pay him off. But also, I think Elisha recognized he hadn't done anything to make the miracle happen. He had just said what God wanted him to say, and so why be rewarded for something when he hadn't done it? 
And and finally, I think the reason that one reason he did was uh, this was a contrast for Naaman between how the false prophets acted and how the true prophets of God acted. Now I want to pause here for a minute because there are some people who want to take Elisha's example and apply that to all ministers in all times. And, and, and they do that because we want to read the Bible and then apply it, and that's good. But we have to be careful with our application. There are actually some people, and I've, I've talked to some, there are actually some preachers who believe that the ministers should never get any money, no, no compensation, for being in the ministry. Now, they ignore much of the New Testament whenever they have this view. So, Elisha, when he does this, is not showing that taking gifts from people is wrong because back in chapter 4 and verse 42, Elisha takes gifts from people. Okay, what him doing this is not to show that taking gifts is wrong. His point is to show that the work of God is not based on money and it cannot be bought. So, anyway, this miracle serves to bring Naaman to God. He, he, he miraculously heals him. He puts his faith in God. And now I want you to see the contrast between Elisha and Gehazi in verses 16 and 20. Look at verse 16, uh, verse, verses 16 and 20 again. They both start out saying the same thing. Elisha says, But as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. Look at verse 20. Gehazi starts out the same way. He says, As the Lord lives, what? I'll run and I'll take something. Do you see that contrast? Elisha says, As the Lord lives, I'll not take a dime from you. Gehazi says, As the Lord lives, I'm going to take a little money from you. See, these, these two men were close associates in ministry, but they were in very different places spiritually. So what was Gehazi's problem? Well, his problem ultimately was a heart problem. He had a sin problem. His problem was covetousness. The Bible sometimes uses the word greed to, to talk about this same idea. Now, the words that are used in Scripture speak of someone who's eager for some, some more stuff. It, it, it talks about somebody who lusts after more. They desire to have more stuff. And it's not just stuff in general. It's usually stuff that belongs to somebody else. They want something that, that somebody else already has. And in Scripture, these words are often linked with people who will take whatever it is that they, that they want that belongs to somebody else. They will take it either through force like Ahab did when he took Nabal's vineyard, or through defrauding like Gehazi did. Now, there are a lot of people in today's world who say that greed is not a sin. Sometimes people even look at it like it's a good thing, just trying to get ahead. But the Bible is clear that greed and covetousness is a sin. And, and we want to blame other people, don't we? Well, if I didn't live in such a, a, a poor area, if I didn't grow up in, in, the, in the home that I did, I, I, we just didn't have any money or, or whatever it is, we want to blame it on outward stuff. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that these things that go into the body are not what defile people. The things that defile people come from inside in the heart. And he lists a whole bunch of things in Matthew chapter 7 that come from the heart, and one of those is greed. Greed is something that comes from the heart. Now one of the things about greed or covetousness is that it does not end with a desire for somebody else's things. Having that desire would be bad enough but it ends up leading to all sorts of evil. Let me start a verse, see if you can finish it. The love of money is what? The root of all kinds of evil. 
Jesus said something very similar in Luke chapter 12. He said, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. In other words, what does a profit a man if he gained the whole world but loses his own soul? So what kind of things does greed or covetousness lead to? Well, we see several things with Gehazi. I want you to just glance at a few of them. First, he defrauded Naaman. It led to fraud. What does it mean to defraud someone? It means that you trick them. You cheat them. You swindle them. You fleece them. And that's what he did to Naaman. Now, is it wrong to do those things? Yes. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, there's the story of the rich young ruler. We're familiar with that, with that story. This young man comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus points him back to the law. And in listing all these Ten Commandments, one of the things he actually says in Mark chapter 10 specifically is, do not defraud. Very specific, do not defraud. But that's exactly what Gehazi did. And what was even worse is he used God and his people in his trickery. He didn't just say, hey, um, you know, my family is in a hard spot or something like that. He just said, hey, these prophets came down. He was including God's people in it to, to, to trick Naaman. To go along with that, he bore false witness by putting this request for money in the mouth of Elisha. If you'll notice what it says, look again at, at, uh, at chapter 5, verse 22. He says, All is well. My master has sent me, there's a lie, saying, Behold, just now two young men, the sons of the prophets, have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. He didn't say, I'm coming to you and asking you for stuff. He said, Elisha is asking you for stuff. He bore false witness. That's, that's one of the big ten. Also, he stole. That's another one of the big ten. Now, money is not wrong. Having money is not wrong. It's not bad. But stealing is wrong. When you take what is not yours, that's stealing. And that's exactly what Gehazi did. Also, he lied. He lied to Naaman. He lied to Elisha. He said, Gehazi, where you been? And what did Gehazi say? I've not been anywhere. He told one lie to Naaman, and then he had to tell another lie to Elisha to cover up his lie to Naaman. You ever do that when you're a kid? Tell a fib to mom or dad, and then you'd have to tell another lie to cover up that lie, then you had to tell two lies to cover up those two, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Instead of just telling the truth the first time. But he lied. Covetousness or greed, it leads to other sins, and I think that's why he puts it God puts it right at the end of the Ten Commandments. Because what is it that you remember? Middle children, you should know this. You remember the first and the last. You don't think too much about the middle, right? And I know that's awful. But Marsha, 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 you all know what I'm talking about. The middle children had the, the, the Jan Brady syndrome. You think about the first and the last. What's the first commandment? Don't have any other gods before me. What's the last commandment? Don't covet. Because if you break either of those things, it leads to those things in the middle. You break not having uh, other gods before you, you'll start, uh, you'll start breaking these commandments uh, about keeping God's day holy and stuff like that. You, you, you break these ones with covetousness, it'll lead you into stealing and, and you know, murder and all kinds of things. So covetousness or greed leads to other sins. And if you violate those, I mean, you're, you're guilty of sin. Now, what I'm saying is that greed or covetousness is a serious sin. 
It's a desire for more things, and in particular, things that belong to other people. Sometimes it's a love of money. Sometimes it's a love of things. But either way, it's serious. How serious is it? Well, do you remember back in the Old Testament book of uh, Joshua? Joshua said, we're going to be going into this city. There are certain things under a ban. Don't take any of them. But Achan took some stuff. You remember that? And then the very next, uh, the very next episode the Bible records is the Israelites sent a whole bunch of guys out to this little city called Ai. And they went to this city. They were going to attack it. And even though it was small, the men of Ai repelled the men of Israel. Why did they do it? Because there was sin in the camp, and it was covetousness. It was greed. Also, the Bible says that there should be a spirit of unity amongst Christians. The body of Christ should be unified. It should only be under a rare occasion on serious grounds that we should break fellowship with believers. But guess what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5? He says, but actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. In other words, he's saying if you've got somebody in your church that's covetous, you shouldn't, even, you shouldn't have anything to do with them. That's serious. That is a serious, serious thing. Uh, I mean, the, all through the Bible, it's seen as, as being serious. And, and the reason it's so important in our lives is because it removes God from His rightful place in our hearts. Colossians 3.5 says that the greed amounts to idolatry. That's what Paul says. See, when you're greedy, what you desire becomes your God. Because you desire that thing more than you desire God. And Jesus said very plainly, you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God and money. You can't have it both ways. You have to make a choice. So what should we do? What, what should our response be to the sin of covetousness? What should our response be to this message? Well, first, we need to examine our hearts to see if we're greedy. And I'm guessing you probably know if you are or not. You probably already know if you are or not. But you need to examine your heart nonetheless. Say, am I a greedy person? Do I covet what is somebody else's? If you are greedy, you need to repent of that. But then you should take action. And I'm not saying this is the only action you, you should take. But here's just a, a suggestion. Sometimes we have to crucify the flesh in the area of our lives. What does covetousness do? It says, give me more. More, 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 more. Here's one thing you could do. Give something away. And even, even that idea, even if you're not greedy, kind of makes you go, Ugh, right? Give something away. Give it away, no strings attached. Not expecting anything in return. Even do it anonymously, where nobody knows that you're the one who gave it up. <gasps> but I want them to know the sacrifice I made. Let God know, and that's it. You just give, and, even it, and maybe that thing that you want the most, if you already have some, give that away. You're money hungry? Help out, help out charity. Help out a ministry somewhere. You, you, you have a desire for possessions? Start giving some of it away. But it's real quiet in here all of a sudden. You know what? Give it away. Crucify the flesh. Secondly, we need to guard our hearts. 
Jesus said that. He said, beware. Be on your guard. Be on the lookout. Watch, watch your motives. Why do you do what you do? Do you do it so you can get recognition, so you can get money, so you can get whatever it is? When you hear somebody changing hands with money or you see it, you need to be, on, you need to be paying attention. Do you say, oh man, I kind of hope they drop that, that money there and I can pick it up and nobody know it. You hear about those people that they get a, a, a Happy Meal and they'll open up the, the Happy Meal bag and there'll be like $3,000 in it. You, you hear those stories and it's like, why would anybody put a $3,000 in a Happy Meal bag? And, and what do you say? Boy, if I had that, boy, I sure hope that I give it back. Boy, wouldn't it be nice? And we start thinking, don't we? What if I won the lottery? You know, that Powerball, it's supposed to be however many, you know, Oh, wouldn't that be nice? What would I do with it? We need to be paying attention to our hearts. Because that's 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 where it all comes from. It comes from the heart. Folks, covetousness or greed is a sin. It's a serious sin. It plainly says so in God's word, and because it is sin, what does that mean? It means that it incurs God's judgment. Gehazi experienced it. What happened to him? Verse twenty-seven. He wanted Gehazi's money, or he wanted Naaman's money, so he got his leprosy too. He defrauded him out of his money. He got the leprosy. Each of us will experience the judgment of God apart from the from the atoning blood of Christ. And somebody might say, "But you know what? That's just that's a small law. That's just a little law that you're breaking. Uh, if you covet, what's well, that? Tiny." But remember, if you break a law, you've broken the law. James said it this way, if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. Is greed enough to keep you from heaven? Yes. Is pride enough to keep you from heaven? Yes. Is adultery enough to keep you from heaven? Yes. Is not honoring your father and your mother enough to keep you from heaven? Yes. Is having other gods before the Lord enough to keep you from heaven? Yes. These things are serious. You say, but it's just one little sin. But you know what? God is perfect. He has no sin. If you have a sin, you're imperfect. You miss the mark. You fall short. And if you're going to spend eternity in heaven, you're not going to get there with sin. The great news of the Gospel is that Jesus died for your sin. He died to pay for your sin on the cross. The Bible says that on the cross... He who knew no sin became sin for us. He bore our sin in His body on the tree. And because of that, if we'll confess our sin, if we'll repent and put our faith in Him, then we can be saved. We can have that sin forgiven. Paul said that if we'll confess the Lord Jesus as Lord with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. And if, you have, if you've never done that, you need to do it today. If you have done it, you need to be on your guard for, for this sin because it affects not only non-saved, but saved people a lot.